The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. is A to Z Healing Toolbox, Tips and Tools for Navigating Grief and Trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool K, Knowing Your New Environment. What do you need? Who do you need? As you're going through this extremely difficult time, walk or hopscotch, take a train, a plane or bus, write to the places and people who can give you some love. By Daphne Rose Kingma. Welcome to this episode of the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast, where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Today, we have a special guest, my friend and colleague, Rachel Kadanis, who is going to be talking with us about how to navigate the ever-changing environment and landscape of grief and trauma. But before we get to Rachel, I just want to share a little bit about the power of knowing your new environment, which obviously has changed since grief or trauma has walked into or slammed into your life. For me, this became really apparent um, with one incident when I was at the gym. This was probably about 
Oh my goodness. Six weeks after Brent died, I numbly and blindly made my way to the gym because that's where I met Brent and that was my place of refuge until it wasn't. But I walked into the gym and I did some weights on autopilot and I got the stares from people from all corners and I finally got in line to take a shower. And as I stood there in all of my half nakedness and vulnerability, I had my shower bag in my hand and this woman who I had seen at the gym before and had a young child as well, she approached me from behind and really just started peppering me with questions. What happened? How did the accident happen? Were you there? Did you get a phone call? What did your family say? What's going to happen to your son? He's so young. On and on and on. And I realized right then three things. Number one, if I don't get away from her, I'm going to punch her. Number two, I can't stand the gym for one more second. And number three, I need to find a new place to go. And those were shocking thoughts for me because number one, I'm not a violent person. <laughs> and I had never thought, oh, okay, I really want to punch somebody right in the face. And the gym was my place of refuge. So I realized, oh my gosh, everything has changed. My friendships are changing. My family relationships are changing. You know, even the grocery store was a trigger and the gym is a trigger. I mean, how can this be? So eventually I busted out an echo map and I'm not going to explain the whole thing uh, right here on this podcast because I want to get to Rachel. But an echo map is a wonderful tool that social workers have been using for years to graph environments of their clients. And I and you and anyone can draw their own echo map. So I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have the A to Z Healing Toolbox book already, go ahead and grab a copy. And on page 131, you will see an example of how to map out your new environment and draw lines to positive relationships, draw other lines to neutral relationships, and really find out more about where your stressful relationships lie. It's a wonderful visual to grasp and understand what's happening with your new environment. But without further ado, I would love to introduce you to Rachel a bit. Rachel Cadanis is a heart-minded professional, author, speaker, and consultant, helping her audiences to embrace life's challenges. Overcoming her own adversity following the sudden death of her husband, leaving her with a two-year-old daughter, she has been speaking passionately to national audiences of all sizes for over 20 years. Rachel addresses all aspects of change, growth, and acceptance that come from embracing life's challenges, those expected and unexpected. Rachel has published numerous articles, blogs, podcasts, and has appeared on Good Morning America. Her books include the best-selling Living with Loss One Day at a Time, Grief in the Workplace, and her new book, Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time, What to Do with Your Loved One's Personal Possessions. 
Today on the podcast, I am so fortunate to have one of my superheroes, Rachel Kadanis. Uh, Rachel, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to spend the next whatever period of time with you. Well, I usually start by telling folks how I met the folks who are coming on this call on the podcast. And um, so I will just tell that little story. And I know we we had a moment in San Diego at Camp Widow in October where I told the story to an auditorium full of people. But I'll just tell the listeners here that my first Camp Widow was in 2013, and I was shuffled into a room for widowed people who had a sudden death experience. And we were all sitting around this big circle in the room, and in walks this energetic, beautiful person named Rachel. And her energy just filled the room with love and light. And I thought, this person cannot possibly be widowed. What? And you proceeded to say, we all, we all got that phone call. We all got that knock on the door. We all have a story. And I watched you for that. I think it was an hour in that workshop. And I just thought, I want more of that. I want to be like Rachel, who is full of love and light and laughter. And how do I get there? And so that was my first experience with you. You're my super widow superhero. <laughs> so, you know, this today we're talking about Healing Tool K, which is knowing your new environment. And I'd love to start by just asking you, first of all, when I saw you, you were full of love and light. How did that even happen after your story? So what is your story and how did you start moving toward love and light? Well, first of all, that was a very special day. And I do remember meeting you, Susan, and I remember hugging you. Not, not to mention, because we are voice right now, that I'm 5'2 and Susan is gigundus, tall gigundus. But I remember hugging you. And how could I walk in the room and how could I do that? I was 10 years out. And when you think about where you are now and how much love you're providing, the exact same thing that I did to that group, you're paying it forward to the next group. So with all this energy and look at you with your podcast and what you're doing for Soren Experience and all the programs, we have it in us. It's just the time. You need a little bit of time to get there. And walking in that room was very special to me. It still is all the camps later because I had experienced something that you are all fresh and new with. I had experienced it 10 years prior. So my story is it was a sudden loss, as you had mentioned. It was my husband was 32. I was 31. Our daughter was two. Uh, we're big athletes. And he walked out of work. It was arrhythmia. He missed a heartbeat. It didn't recover natural causes. Um, died in the parking structure of the company that we both worked for. But you really ask the question is, how do you get from that moment on April 14th to the moment that I could walk in with a room full of people that have Kleenexes and the tears and just the sadness? I could do that because I can't change what happened to me, nor can I change what happened to you, Susan. But what I can do is be responsible for what that looks like of me going forward. And I can encourage other people to look at it a little differently. The thing about death is it's final. 
in physical form, but not in emotional or carrying that forward. You've got a son, your, your husband will always be carried forward through your son, saying similar to me and my daughter. So we just have to figure out how to do it. And the strength with each other is how you get there. And, and the timeline of how you get there, or when you get there, it's all depends on what happens behind your personal front door. So well said. You know, for me, after Brent died, I felt completely thrown into a new world. I call it the United States of Traumaville, right? Griefland, USA. I mean, I didn't know anything about the world or in the, the environment of grief or trauma. And it's because of people like you. I know you've written how many books now? Three? Three, yep. Three books. Uh, people like you who've written books that I was picking up. To, to understand this new world. And you were so kind enough to write an excerpt for my book, Rachel, A to Z Healing Toolbox. And I just wanna read this paragraph that you wrote so the listeners know a little bit about where you're coming from and how you can assist them. And then we'll talk about this. But you say, several months after the death of my 32-year-old husband, the subtle hints from my friends, family, and coworkers appeared suggesting the time has come for me to move on. Move on from what? The dissolving of my family? The loss of my true love? The death of the father of my daughter? In retrospect, I know they wanted to see me happy and remove the pain, but mostly they wanted to have the old Rachel back. Really? Would I ever be back? I suggest create an elevator speech for those around you who are trying to fix you. A simple message that the situation is emotionally all-encompassing, but you are doing better than yesterday and truly appreciate their support. The true message is, please let me be for now. I am trying the best I can. Without a canned response, you will push harder and you will push back more. They excuse me, stay in your refuge for as long as you need and enter the battlefield when you are ready and able. So much wisdom in that paragraph. You talk about changing relationships with family, changing relationships with friends, creating an elevator speech, which is a wonderful tip or tool, and people who are encouraging you to move on. So let's just pick this apart a little. I'm wondering if we can start with the, the moving on. When we're in a grief or trauma situation, can we really move on? Oh, I have so many things that I want to share after you just did that. So this is going to be the best 20 minutes of my life coming up here. So for starters, you really can't move on, okay? And so what I call it more of that you're just finding yourself, you're finding your way. And I said earlier that you need to bring your loved person with you. But what I learned that there is nothing to fix and people around me so hard wanted to fix me. And I said in that quote was that they all, all they really wanted was the old Rachel back, but the old Rachel was never coming back. In fact, when I remarried, people said to me, do you compare the two of them? Well, what's there to compare? Because Rachel isn't the same Rachel. So they could be two human beings that are so much similar. I'm not the same person. I mar I couldn't have married Rod again. I, I, we talk about that at camp all the time. What happens if our, if our loved one was dropped in the middle of one of the sessions? We're just different people. We love harder. We react differently. 
So if I were to summarize all of that and, and the next whatever time of our conversation is the key to this is self-advocacy. But the challenge is we don't know what we're self-advocacy without the help of other people that have been in these shoes so that they can help us. What do we need? What can we use going forward? So that's what the real conversation is, whether it's an elevator speech, whether it's going to attending a camp, whether it's joining a support group so that you could be with people that are similar to you, or it could be in your cave and stay in your refuge. Whatever it is that you need is what you have to do. I have never heard anyone talk about self-advocacy during the grief and trauma process. That is so true. And how does somebody start to advocate when, as a friend of mine says, we can't think our way out of a paper bag? And when we have pressures, right, from friends, colleagues, coworkers, family, how can we start to self-advocate in our new environment? Well, we talk about boundaries. We talk about always creating boundaries, whether it's with in-laws, whether it's with friends, whether it's with your kids' teachers. We always talk about boundaries. And so what we, I think, sometimes stumble on is we want that boundary, but we don't know how to do it. So that's where the self-advocacy comes in. So when someone gives you a social invitation, we want boundaries. We don't want to get dressed. We don't want to go out. We don't want to listen to them laugh. We don't want to this. We don't want to that. It doesn't matter what we do and do want to do. So you set the boundaries and the boundaries is, you know what, maybe I'll go out once a month or maybe I'll go with this one friend that I trust that will always be there to take care of me. That is self-advocacy. It's a form of self-advocacy because you know that you really do want to go out. You know that you don't, but you don't know how to get there. So how do I do that? I need somebody that will protect me. Okay, you find that special friend. So in the workplace, I'll give you an example of my ultimate self-advocacy. I had three offices when my husband died and my management wanted me to travel to all those places and, and take care of business. And I'm like, wait, I have a two-year-old. Everything that's out of my mouth is a favor. So how can I, I can't afford to leave her with a babysitter all the time. I just have to get off the road. And they said to me, what would it take to be, keep you on the road? And I said, she's coming with me. And they said, well, we've never done that before. And I'm like, I don't need an airplane ticket. She can sleep in my hotel room. What I'm asking you for is daycare in those locations, because in return, I'm not having that bottle of wine or going out for the steak and I'm not having an expense report. And their mouths were wide open and they said, okay. So I set up daycare and I brought her on the plane with me. That's a form of self-advocacy. Could I have thought of that just out of the blue? But he said, my management said to me, what would it take for you to stay in the job? And I said, not be separated from my daughter in the evening. Wow. You can't, the listeners can't see my mouth because this is audio only. But when you were telling that story, my I jaw dropped. Mouth. I saw you. Like you actually were able to advocate for yourself and someone actually gave you what you needed. That is beautiful. But it was cheaper because at the time you could fly. I mean, we don't need all the paperwork we need now, but at the time, you know, she was under, she was two. So it, you know, you could get, you could probably get on a flight till you were four at that time, but without a ticket. But the point was that I said to them, it won't cost you anymore. And they said, they looked at me and said, okay, and I said, look, I signed expense reports. It was corporate America. I signed expense reports and three meals a day going out 
I was picking up a sandwich and bringing it back to our hotel room. So like my costs were nothing compared to other people's costs. And it was great. My daughter used to call it the hotel room and the hotel, but she used to call it the hotel room and the hotel house, something like that. A hotel house and hotel car. She had a funny name for it. Amazing. Anyway, we're talking about self-advocacy. You really have to think of what's best for you and believe in it. Yes. Now, I know one of your books is about grief in the workplace, correct? What is the title of that book? Grief in the Workplace. And it's really a comprehensive guide for being prepared. It's not for the griever. It's for HR, um, the manager. And, you know, it's it's really for your coworkers that don't know what to do with you. So it's suggestions on helping somebody transition to, to work after they have a loss or there's been a loss of an actual coworker. The real notion of that is education. It's really how to let people have the time they need. It's taking the wisdom that you and I have learned through our loss and being able to work again. Many of the people who listen to this podcast are working. They are maybe new in their grief or trauma experience. They're trying to juggle family, friends, maybe children, and they're working. So what are some examples of self-advocacy or boundary setting in addition to the one you just mentioned about really asking for what you need, right? As for you, I need to have my child with me. I will drive. You don't need to fly me. She can stay in the hotel. What are some other ideas for people to ask? Like, What can people ask for in the workplace? So the workplace is difficult, as with any type of loss, is that Susan, you and I would have different needs. So the fact that there could be a blanket response to to a manager or HR of what to do with somebody when they return to work after a loss, everybody will be different. As with if there's a death of an employee, that people have different relationships with that coworker, so their needs will be different. If I were to summarize it all, we don't really know what we need, right? Until we're set up with a situation where we see it right in front of us. The suggestion that I have for your listeners, don't get hung up on the bereavement leave policy because even if it was three weeks, it wouldn't work because you don't deal with half of what you need to deal with till later on anyway. And you can't get anywhere on these full planes anymore. And if you do get on a plane, it's going to be canceled anyway. So don't get your all tizzied out with the bereavement leave work around it, because that's what I think a lot of companies do is they talk about bereavement leave. And that's not really what the story is. The story is how do you interact with a human being when they come back to work after a substantial loss? So the two pieces that I would say is that just for this to go to not spend our whole time on the workplace is that when there's an employee returning to work, such as you, such as me, that the manager meet with them outside of the workplace before. So the first day going back isn't abrupt in your face, right? And the second thing is to encourage all coworkers, management to recognize the loss before you come back to work. Because that way, when I run into you, Susan, in the hallway, I get to say to you, thank you so much for that sweet card. I get to say to you, thank you so much for dropping off that casserole at my house. Thank you so much for giving the donation to blah, blah, blah. So it creates an interaction that's not awkward. So those are my two big things is, is interacting. They're both interacting with the person that had the loss, but don't wait until they return to work because it's so awkward and it's more awkward for the coworker and management than it is actually for the griever. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now, another of your books is about what we do with our person's possessions. And this is a huge topic. I know you present on this virtually, you present on this at Camp Widow, uh, because now we're in this environment of, okay, my person has died. Physically, they're not here, but all of their stuff is here. So how can we, me, you, the listeners, anyone who's had a profound loss and is left with the physical items, how can we start to move through that piece of our new environment? Because it can be so activating, right? So my book is titled Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time. So it's a kind of a play on words is the peace meaning the individual item of your loved one, but finding peace when you're looking at them. So the title is Finding Peace, One Piece at a Time, What to Do with Yours and Your Loved One's Possessions. And I was careful to write the book that it wasn't just only for people that had passed, because I think a beauty of you and I had sudden losses, but the beauty of somebody that is experiencing a, a terminal illness is to have the opportunity to go through the belongings before they actually pass, because you and I sorted through things post. And I would love answers on some of those belongings. I would have loved some answers on possessions. So that's why it's titled the way it is. The notion of it is what do you do with all this? And I do have po- not podcasts. I do have programs both um, electronically on a you know a digital platform as well as in person. And the messaging that I like to do on that is the term, change the terminology because I don't think it's daunting. I think it is a beautiful thing to be able to do that if you change your mindset that way. And so my two, my three words that I like to use is I don't like to use cleaning or eliminating or throwing out. I like to use the term is sorting, thinning, and repurposing. Because those three words are softer. And when you think about sorting, you're just starting the process and half the stuff you probably is easy to do something with. But I like those words because if you thin out and you're not getting rid of, it just starts a momentum and repurposing. I've got a lot of ideas of how to repurpose, whether it's clothing, jewelry, desks. I mean, there's so much we could repurpose in a different way so the surviving people could have access to it. And the other messaging in there is to what do you keep? You keep the items that tell a story. I'm watching Susan's face for you listeners. So you keep the pieces that tell that tell the story and you keep the pieces that provide a connection and everything else you don't need to keep. So beautiful. As you're saying that, I'm looking and I'm remembering what's in my house. And, you know, I love to reiterate the fact that there's no timeline for any of this grief, grief stuff, right? Like Correct. you don't have to sort thin repurpose at any time frame. Correct. I knew that I wanted to do something with Brent's Hawaiian shirts. I had no idea what that was. And the thought of doing anything made me physically nauseous for a long time. So I put them all in a bag and I put them in my closet. Four and a half years later, they're still in a bag in my closet. And I went on a retreat with a marriage and family therapist and a medium. So I spent three days with 
a marriage and family therapist and a medium. There were 12 of us. And I came out of that weekend knowing exactly what I wanted to do because I felt that connection again with Brent. And I gave that bag of clothes to my girlfriend and she gave it to our other girlfriend who's an artist slash seamstress. And I said, pillows, wall hangings, whatever, go for it. The sky's the limit, do whatever you wanna do. And now I have these two beautiful wall hangings on my walls. You know, five years later, I finally repurposed and Jacob has a bunch of pillows on his bed made from Brent shirts. And so that's the connection you're talking about as well. Right, so you have both. One, you were able to thin and sort because you needed to do which ones that you wanted to use. And there is a permanent connection to that. And there's a story behind each of the probably shirts as well. You could go on and on. You could write a whole book, Susan. I know I could. Should I do that? Yes, go for it. <laughs> and I also have Brent's surfboard uh, and all his musical instruments. You know, there were, there were papers and things like that. I thought, I can't. I don't need all that because that was his work life. And I wasn't really in that. So I will save some of those books and articles that he wrote for Jacob, but I wanted the things that had the connection in the story. So we're, supposed, we're talking today about knowing your environment. This is an example of knowing your environment. You weren't ready to do it yet. You did it when you're ready. There's no timeline. I was two years out and you needed a trigger of some sort that wasn't coming to you that finally came to you and you were able to do it. So it's knowing your environment, it means is, it comes when the time is right. You can't always know your environment, but you have to learn about it. And then when it's ready, then you come up with something terrific. Exactly. Now let's focus or shift a little bit into talking about folks who want to hurry us up and believe we should have a timeline. These might be friends, these might be family members, maybe colleagues, but I know you do a lot of speaking out in the, in the community about how, how to maintain boundaries, how to advocate. Um, what do we do with our people? How can we create an elevator speech, letting people know this is gonna take a lot of time, guys, and I'm not the same person. So what do we do with these changed relationships? So to, I'm going to give you a second to go back and then we'll go to the relationships. I kind of want to set this up for a second. So when you did read the paragraph about from what I wrote for you for the book, you talked in there about the refuge versus the battlefield. And in my living with loss one day at a time, which is three, it's another book, which is 365 lessons and thoughts and loss. I try to have the readers just I just give them a tidbit of information and let them run emotionally with it. So in there, which is where the refuge of the battlefield is, I believe we all have to stay in our refuge until we're ready to get out of our refuge. In the book, I talk about being with my late husband in that refuge, obviously not physically, but emotionally is where I needed to be until I was ready to go out to the battlefield. And the battlefield is people telling you what you should and shouldn't do. So that's why I wanted to go back in time for a second, because now when you've made that transition, you're willing to walk across that line and have to be ready. You have to have your shield. You have to have your, you just have to kind of not be as defensive because if you become defensive, when somebody says something to you and they do say the darndest things, then who loses you? They don't lose. 
because you make the face. You're the one that stays up all night. You're the one that cries. They're just, they're not going to budge in where they are because they have no idea what their comment did to you. And you're not going to tell them that was a nasty thing to say, because at the end of the day, it may not have been nasty of what they said. It might've been your interpretation because they're pushing you too hard. So when I talk about an elevator speech and, or just a two sentence response, canned response. So when somebody says something to you, you just kind of like, I'm working through this on my time. So here's a great example. Someone's listening to this podcast and then tomorrow somebody, one of their friends or family members is pushing them a little bit. Their two line were their two line elevator speech or response could be, you know, I listened to this great podcast yesterday, Susan and Rachel having a candid conversation and I'm ready to walk into the battlefield. I'm working on it right now, but these are the baby steps I'm taking. There is an answer. And you know what that says to the person that's standing in front of them or on the phone or whatever? She's listening to podcasts on grief and loss. She is coming up with an idea of how to get from her refuge to the battlefield. She has been able to articulate to me what I what she is thinking. So that tells me she has got a little bit more logic going on. So you have answered everything in two sentences. And you know what they're going to do? What can I do to help? As opposed to you should really do this. I love that. And I love that question. What can I do to help you? That is my mom's question. She still 10 years later asks me, what can I do to help you? And I think part of it is because way back when I was listening to people like you about boundaries, tell people this is where I am authentically. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing you say or do. It's my timeline. Correct. And people say, call me if you need something, make it, put it back on, put it back. Let them not call you when you need something. Let them, what can I do to help you at this moment? It sounds like you have forward momentum. And just, it was a two sentence. I listened to a podcast yesterday who gave me a great idea. And this is what I'm trying to do. It answers a lot. And just remember, there's, you know, to listeners, there's nothing to fix. So it's not about fixing anything. Your husband died or your mother died or your sibling died or your child died, whatever your death is, there's nothing to fix there. It's about figuring out how to take one step in front of the other. Right. I wish we would have had this conversation my year one, because I didn't know you my year one. I started, I knew you, I met you after my year one, but year one, I went back to the gym. I met Brent at the gym. This was a different gym, but people had heard what happened. So I tell this story in my book about I'm, I'm in line half naked, right? In line at the gym, waiting for my turn in the shower. And this woman comes over and starts peppering me with questions. What happened? What are you going to do? I hear you have a five-year-old. Oh my God. Like her anxiety was through the roof. Here I am in all my vulnerability standing half naked. <laughs> yeah. Half naked with my shower bag. And I, I didn't even, I didn't have a a speech. I had no words. I had nothing. So I just ignored her. Thank goodness a shower opened. I went into the shower and just cried. And I was just, that, that blew me out of the water. And I, there, I felt the residual effects of that for a couple of weeks. Um, so one of the tools I used because I'm a social worker, there's a tool that I talk about in the book called an echo map. So echo environment map 
map, right? A map of our environment. And I actually busted out a piece of paper and started drawing circles, right? So if we were going to do an echo map on your initial environment, it would be Rachel in the center in a circle and your daughter connected in another circle. And then all around you would be other circles of your environment, like your work environment, your family environment, all of these different things that are either working or not working, you put them all down, and then you start to draw arrows between what's negative, what's positive, and then you have a visual of, geez, okay, this work environment, something's got to change. Maybe I can be more self-advocating. Maybe I can put more boundaries. Maybe I need another job. Or this relationship with my mom is really working. She helps me all the time. This friendship this is stressing me out. What can I do with this? So there are all these different tools, right? What you're talking about, what I'm talking about, it's all about, we are in a new place here. We're not the same person, as you say, like, I'm not the same Susan, you're not the same Rachel. And the more, this is how I feel, the more we can surround ourselves with other people who get it, who get our experience or get that we aren't the same people, the better off we're going to be. Do you agree with that? Yeah, because I can look in your eyes and I can say, okay, take this lightly audience, that it doesn't really matter how Brent died or Rod died. The details of that doesn't, and that's why we connected at that sudden loss. We all have an empty bed. We all have our future shattered. We all have that same experience. So we can look at each other and get past what happened at the hospital or what we might have been involved with of why the loss occurred. And none of that really, like we missed something or whatever it is, is that we could look at each other and in, in each other's eyes and say, I got you. I, you don't have to explain yourself. I got you. That loss is devastating. While it's different and we don't know, as I said earlier, what happens behind someone's front door, we don't know what people's support units are, all that we get each other. And that's where that echo map is. You know, you just kind of create that map of self-advocacy and taking care of you and what's really important to you. Well, I appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom. You know, it is now 10 years for me almost and 20. How many for you? Oh my God, way too many. It's like close to 29, 30. Yeah, I got to do my math. But okay. So you are where I was, where you're further, whatever, wherever we are, is that you understand back to the day when you saw me and said, I want to be like you, you are me. You're just a lot taller. A lot taller and a lot younger. I am a lot taller. I'm 5'9. You're 5'1? I tell people too, but I'm not sure it's quite that. Uh, wear your heels, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a big personality. Well, your big personality has helped so many people, including me. And it helped me so much that when Michelle Neff Hernandez asked me to present you with a Founders Award for Camp Widow, I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. And I actually gave Rachel a superhero cape because she has been a hero to me and so many others. And I just love you and what you're doing for other people. And we are connected forever. We have a similar journey. You know, Jacob was five, Gretchen was two, but we're close enough. Yeah. So before we sign off of this episode, I would love for people to know how they can connect with you. Maybe give us the titles of your books again. I know you have a website. Just share with us how people can get in touch with you. 
So there's lots of different ways. Obviously, social media is, um, although I have a difficult last name, it's actually easy to find me if you spell it correctly. So my website is um, rachelkadonis.com, which is R-A-C-H-E-L-K-O-D-A.com. And on there, I have a newsletter. I know emails kind of yesterday, but what's nice about joining my newsletter, I do a lot of Zoom um, presentations. If you want to know about them, that's a good way to find them. I do one specifically on, on possessions and some other uh, programs that uh, might be of interest to you. I, my books are Living with Loss One Day at a Time, 365, what I call Lessons and Thoughts and Loss. Finding Peace One Piece at a Time, What to Do with Yours and Your Loved One's Possessions, along with Grief in the Workplace. All of them are available on my website. Um, I have a special going right now where I bundle together um, the two books at a discount, so you can get on there. The only advantage of buying them on my website versus your bookstore or an online bookstore is that I sign them if they come out of my house. But if not, and I do, I will write a gift card if you're buying it for somebody. But if not, I mean, you know, there's, there's every bookstore out there that would have them. I want to tell all the listeners that Susan is over the top and her heart is in the right place and what she's doing for others and dedicating all her time and energy to helping the next round of people that have suffered a loss. I am in awe. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Well, it goes both ways. (laughs) It's a a love fest. It is. (laughs) Have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for being here. You too. Thanks for inviting me. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z toolbox.com. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.